Hi, friend, and welcome. I'm Marilyn Neese. Thank you for joining my podcast, Express Light. I believe we each have a unique gift and ability. Being created by nature, I have the desire to start my own business, and I know firsthand how important it is to blend creativity and business together. It has not always been easy for me, but I have successfully built my boutique serving people from all over the world. Because of my experience, I am passionate about helping others like myself who are looking to express light in their own lives through their gift, skill, or talent, and make a living doing it. If that's you, tune in each week as I provide tips, interview those who are successful in their craft, as well as share enlightening stories of how to build a business as a creative entrepreneur. Welcome to Express Light. Hello and welcome back to Express Light. I'm Marilee and uh, today I am joined with Angelina Musick. She's super sweet. She is the founder of Mompreneur. She's also the founder of Wellness by Choice. She's an author. She's been on several TV stations. She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to putting women who are entrepreneurs themselves or businesses in general and they want to have a presence online, she is your person that has a complete understanding of this. Angelina, I am humbled to be able to interview you. I'm also not even going to give you the right introduction. You are so full of knowledge and you have so much behind your titles. There's a list here um, and I am just so awe-inspired. So I would like to give you the opportunity to kind of share with my listeners a little bit more in detail of who you are, how you even started Mompreneur, and where you are today and what's available. Thank you so much, Marilee, for having me on your podcast. And hello to all of your listeners. What I feel my work to backtrack is, my backstory is I was born and raised in Germany. It's by way of my stepdad, who was in the military, and he is from Guam. So growing up, we had German and we had Guamanian in the household. We did not have much American. And I was addicted to the American TV on the military bases, watching Gilligan's Island. And Flipper was my favorite TV show because Flipper was such a happy dolphin. (laughs) It was very inspiring to me. When I would go to school, I was the child that had the funny accent. I dressed funny as well as a little German girl. And mom gave me boiled eggs. So I repelled fellow kids with my sulfate breath. And that would come to haunt me. One day when I left those eggs too long in a plastic bag under a sweater at the school, And they evacuated the school because they thought somebody had set off a stink bomb. It was horrible. I came to the States when I was 14 years old. And thankfully, I was put in a private school in San Antonio. So I didn't have to worry about my clothing at all. I would say one of my most peculiar experiences is that I auditioned for a musical on the military base. Mm -hmm. And again, not knowing the protocol of what's required to audition, you're supposed to know the musical that you're auditioning for and audition with one of the songs. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So instead 
Nerdy Me picked a song from ABBA that was one of my favorite mm-hmm. called Take a Chance on Me. And I sang that song a cappella instead. At that point, I had learned because, again, mom being German and dad being from Guam, not raised around traditional American influences, I'd have to learn a lot of that myself on my own. I would step back and watch other people, those that had gone before me in an area of interest that I had. Now, I will say I had a cousin who is Playmate 1979 in California, and she was the wardrobe stylist for the stars, booked constantly. And I loved the way she looked. And so as my cousin, I just admired her. Of course, she's older than me. And I got interested in the fashion because of her. So I would go through my own closet create little index cards for every item that I had, whether it was my shirts, my shoes, my socks, my jewelry. And then I would put the weather conditions in which I would wear these clothes, create this organizational structure so I could pour all my mind in what I was designing as a strategy at that moment. And then every day I wouldn't have to think about it. I just picked an index card based on whatever the weather was. Well, that took me into directing theater and plays. And then in my early years, I was a model. But again, the dorky one, the one that didn't seem to fit in with everyone else. And here's an example. I was at a modeling agency and they're supposed to represent you. So this is in the 80s. It's the John Casablanca's agency. And I decided after twice that I didn't get a booking because of the politics behind all that, I would send out my own headshots and composite cards, which has a headshot and a three-quarter shot with all your dimensions on it. I sent only 100 out because I couldn't afford much at that point. I was about 18 years old. And I sent it to radio stations, recording studios, and just thought, let's see what happens. So I got a response back on a Friday from a recording studio. Well, that Thursday night, I had been at a Loverboy concert, and I was singing my heart out. That Friday morning at this recording studio, the person behind that record, they were looking for someone to be on the front cover of that album that they were going to do a photo shoot with that weekend. They recognized me as they were thumbing through composites that they had received earlier. Mine was there. I got the call from the recording studio and they asked me, what is your day rate? I had no idea what a day rate was. So as not to sound unintelligent, to pretend I had my act together, I said, call Vicki at the agency and she will take care of that. I didn't know what else to do. That weekend went by. That Monday, I called the recording studio and I asked what happened. I didn't hear back. And I was told, well, Vicki sent us somebody else. 
Oh no. <laughs> and that really, really, really stung. Mm -hmm. And it also really taught me a lesson I needed to learn. I would need to, over time, figure out a way to chart my own path, to go around some of what I didn't know or I couldn't control. Mm -hmm. So that would be a lifetime of learning in which I have done that. Mm -hmm. When my kids were three and five, I started Momtrepreneurs unconsciously. Mm -hmm. I was on the playground and other women were talking about how they could make money. And I would ask them, well, what are you doing? What do you love to do? Because they had done things before they had become a mom. Mm -hmm. And as they shared, oh, well, I love, you know, I, I do gift baskets for all my families for Christmas. And it's so much fun doing that. So I would hear that. I would ask, well, tell me how much you spend on what and where you buy it. And they would share that with me. And just like those index cards when I was that teenager, you know, my whole wardrobe being structured, I would start doing that with these ladies based on what they really loved to do so they could excel at it. For me at that time, I had started a registered home child care so I could be at home with my kids and make money while being at home with my kids. And it allowed me to just have a few kids charge a full-time rate if they stayed five hours. So they didn't have to stay from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. with mom working. Mm -hmm. I picked the parents who would only have them there for five hours because mm -hmm. you can only charge a full-time rate once they're there for five hours. Mm -hmm. And when you get registered with the state, as a registered home child care, you get your CPR, you have your home inspection. Well, now you're off and running and you qualify for getting the food that you spend on feeding these kids in your home child care reimbursed. Mm -hmm. And if you're a good shopper, at a very good profit. Mm -hmm. So now you're making money with the daycare fees from your registered home child care where maybe you're only watching three or four kids and then your own. Right. Plus you're getting reimbursed at a profit because of the food program that you're allowed to get on that supports the states that have registered home child cares. So then if you have that going on and you're not the whole day watching kids, mm -hmm. then you have time you are you know, a fan of doing gift baskets do that business. So I was teaching women different ways to monetize what they love to do around their priorities. So moving forward, when my kids went to school full-time during the day, I decided at that time I was living in Houston, I was a praise and worship leader, and I wanted to produce a song. I'd never done that before, recorded and produced and published a song of mine. So as a praise and worship leader, I was looking through the newspaper. I found in the classifieds a drummer who had a makeshift home studio with the sound booth being in his itty bitty closet in his efficiency apartment. I told Stephen, I said, you know what? I want percussion because he's a drummer originally. I said, I want percussion from Gloria Estefan, Phil Collins. So I just went through the artists from the 80s that I loved. So he was going to mimic some of that. And then the songs I had written and together 
we produced my first Christian pop album. I knew because of that experience where I got burned in the modeling gig earlier on at that agency, not to go to any label because I would be at risk of experiencing that again. Mm -hmm. So how was I going to get my album out? Well, at that point, I understood that you needed to have what's called a media designation mm -hmm. for people to take you serious that were going to be what I call the check writers. I decided to take my cassette back then. And just like when I was 18 years old and I mailed out just a few composites, the, the cassette was called Give You Rest. And it was my first self-titled album. I sent it to Europe, to a few radio stations. <laughs> I got airplay on the European radio stations That's awesome. for two reasons. It was, it was one of these things where they're required by the government, which controls the media, to play music from those from the U.S. Okay. So... I had that leverage for me. Now, I knew that because I was born and raised over there. So I knew how they decided on TV and radio programming, having born, been born and raised in Germany. Right. Not everybody would have by default known that, but I knew that. That allowed me not just to get airplay over there and then sell cassettes over there. It then garnered me the international Christian pop artist designation in the u.s so in the u.s that had value mm -hmm. it's almost like a sash as if you're in a pageant right i'm now going to get on more radio stations with my music because i've already been on radio stations in europe so another aspect is the radio stations in the u.s wouldn't be the first ones to play my music just think of the beatles the beatles mm -hmm. first got airtime with their songs in Europe, and then eventually the U.S. picked it up. It goes back to saying sometimes there are things that are counterintuitive that have to be done one foot in front of the other. And one of the best ways to know is to look around who is in your circle or somebody else's circle that has gone before you and achieved. My second album wasn't completed. And at that point, I had an acoustic band because in the marriage I was in, the dad of the two kids, that was a very unhealthy marriage. I went into hiding, left Texas to Washington State. And with the help of my current husband right now, Back then, 20-some years ago in 1999, while in hiding, launched a media marketing and tech company. And really, all that was, all that is, I'm doing the same thing using web technology and media and training and PR and marketing like I did with the ladies on the playground when I started Entrepreneurs. I love your story because one, I did not know you were a music artist. So that just drops my mouth even more at your compliment accomplishments. But I just love how you share. Some people think that it's so hard to get something going. They look at you and say, I could never 
you know, become an artist. I could never get myself in front, get my business in front of thousands of people. I could never, you know, become someone who is on national TV. I mean, they step back and think they're not able to accomplish that. But you, in your simple few minutes of story, you have shared how you just got involved with people, number one, and then used the smarts that you had at the time. And then that role played into more and more opportunities. And it's just amazing to hear the fact that you took action, really, and where that led you, because so many people don't take action on their dreams. And I just love your story. It's amazing. So thank you. The lack of taking action is action. And it is a self-determination and self-sabotage, I could say for some, where they're choosing to say no to themselves. Right. If you don't ask, it's an automatic no. If you don't take the action, it's an automatic, it's not going to happen. And because we are in control of those choices, we have that much power to decide what that action is going to be. If we take it, are we okay with the consequences of not taking it? If we, you know, part of this whole process is looking at what has worked for others. And so I watched so many documentaries growing up and whatever I could pull and apply from what they did, I did. I will say What inspires me at times is how Elon Musk is very humble about him sleeping on the factory floor. And the reason being is because you will go through ebbs and flows as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I have been asked this question about women in technology and some of the factors, you know, leveling the playing field. I go, no, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, and I think most of us can maybe um, feel this when we're cooking a meal in the kitchen and we have multiple pots on the stove and in our mind, we are aware of what has been cooking how long Mm -hmm. and we better not be distracted because we will lose track and burn dinner. Right. And in technology and in other industries, but I just want to talk specifically in technology. When I am inventing programming, and that is something I taught myself, and because I've always been curious, if I open this box, I wonder what's in it. And then whatever what's in it, however that plays out, I'm going to be better for it, mm-hmm. good, bad, or ugly. And so being willing to be open to the fun of what can happen is part of it. Um, Even if you're not nurtured that way from childhood, it's that curiosity. I wonder what, it's the what if game. I wonder if, but so many people play it in their mind, acting it out is, is even better. So when I'm going through the process of doing just like those index cards with my clothing closet and just like the strategy with the moms on the playground, what I'm doing and in the music studio, as far as music goes, and I'm an ear person, I don't read music, I'm an ear person. Um, So when I am coding and I have these different pots 
on the stove in my mind, this image, this video, this text, how it's going to engage, what I'm, spices I'm going to add or subdue because I added too much. In the technology industry, when you're programming, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And in a regular job, if you're working from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. with your lunch break, that doesn't work in technology because you will lose your train of thought. Right. And it can take eight or 10 hours. Same thing in a recording studio, eight or 10 hours with a sound engineer mm-hmm. to go through how this drum beat is going to match with this symbol that's going to work with this piano piece. It's all of those ingredients. So in tech, when I hear, oh, there's just not enough women in tech, you know, these limitations, I'm like, no, what woman is going to legitimately say, yeah, I'm I'm up for a 15-hour gig, no breaks. When you talk about the hardship factor, you know, it's embracing hardships too. You know, you talk about jumping in and, and dealing with what you have and and being that entrepreneur and having that spirit to just go after and be curious. I know you face some hardships too, and you've embraced those hardships and you have taken those and, and built things around your grief that you've dealt with or the hard circumstances. So I would love to know where, you know, tie us in currently, because I know, and we'll have to have another podcast, I'm sure, because there's just too many details that I'm curious about. But I know that you've had experienced grief. And I know that you've taken and you've become an author for Wellness by Choice. So I'd just love for you to kind of tie it together with where you're at now um, and kind of share that part of the story. Absolutely. Thank you. Two years ago, my son was 31 years old and he passed. And right now I am deciphering still and I'm getting closer to what really happened. And long story short, I'll try to condense it, is that summer of 2020, he had a knee injury playing basketball. I come to learn to know after he passed, if you have a knee injury and you have underlying health conditions, it can trigger symptoms. Mm -hmm. It triggered some symptoms. His leg would swell. Then he started having back pain on his right side. Even though I told him to go to the doctor, he was afraid Mm -hmm. he didn't want to catch COVID and died was his go-to phrase. So in October, I'm going back and forth with him. He's in Texas. I'm in Arizona. And he won't go to the doctor. I send him magnesium, chlorella, a number of things for him to take to help his body. It wouldn't be enough to counteract the -the over-the-counter pain medicine that he started taking on a regular basis, which his gallbladder would then have sludge in it, which then affects the liver, Mm -hmm. and he would become constipated. And then over the next few months, in uh, well, the next month, November, he says, Mom, I look like I'm pregnant. Mm. Liver fluid, he didn't know that was filling up. So why was he having pain on his lower right back in September, October? Well, I think now it's because he had kidney and or gallstones. Mm. Well, 
we know that if you eat spicy, salty foods for years and you're taking an antacid to neutralize that, you're asking for kidney stones. So they might as well put it on the package. You want kidney stones? Take antacids. And so that was one of the things that I, I've kind of deciphered out. Well, this whole snowball effect by December, it was pretty much a threat. Your landlord is going to kick you out because she had called me and let's, let's kick him out unless he goes to the ER. It, it has to be that desperate of a situation. He goes into the ER in Texas. He is anemic because mm -hmm. taking those over-the-counter pain pills caused in his intestinal lining to bleed. So he was anemic. He was septic because he had been constipated for these months. And his blood pressure was low. In essence, he was dying. Mm-hmm. So then they transported him to a trauma center across Houston. They put him on um, transfusions to get his blood where it needed to be and to coagulate so they could eventually drain his liver. They stopped the bleeding in his intestines. He would be there for almost two weeks. His body was rebounding. No one ever told me that he couldn't have a liver transplant. He had end-of-life stage four liver disease as a 31-year-old, which is freaking ridiculous That's and so is now becoming common. Wow, I didn't know that. And so part of COVID during that time was you couldn't be with your family in the hospital. So he was in critical care. For these two weeks, his body's rebounding. A doctor won't talk to me. I'm only getting nurses. And I don't understand why a doctor's not talking to me. And I say, please put him on IV nutrition. Please do this. Please do that. Um, I resolved with he's not eating. They're not feeding him. Okay, he's doing a fast. As long as he's hydrated, his body is healing. And I think that was one of the ways it was rebounding is because he was forced into a fast in the hospital. And then I get a call on December 28th of 2020 by the doctor who I speak with for the very first time, your son will die in three days. You need to get here. I am just blown out of my wits going, what in the world? Right. Daniel and I drive there. We arrive December 31st. And this is during the Texas snowstorm where it was crazy. I'm told you have one hour with your son. He is jaundiced. And I tell my husband, film everything in this room. And I ask the nurse, where are his eyeglasses? And she goes, what eyeglasses? I go, he cannot see without his eyeglasses. So if you have been making medical decisions based on his facial responses, understand he probably is squinting, at, which may look like scowling to you because he cannot see you. Right. Her jaw dropped. I was able to see the doctor face to face for about 10 minutes and he's an osteopathic physician. He knows integrative medicine. I go, why didn't you do the fecal transplant? I asked for his intestines to be able to have the gut bacteria that it needs. Why didn't you do the IV nutrition? He had no answer for me. I had no answers. I left 
and went back to Chris. I only had about 15 minutes left and I asked Chris and I removed my mask at this point. And then he recognized mom is here. Mm -hmm. And I said, Chris, you need to tell me, do we fight or do you sleep? And it's okay if you go to sleep because you know you are going to be with God and the heavens. And we will continue this journey together differently beyond that. He wanted to fight is what he communicated by squeezing my hand. So the next day, his his dad, ex-husband, went to see him. That Saturday, I got a call to come in and I could see him for five hours. And again, I walk into this ICU room, hospital room. And he has a sheet over his head saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I asked the nurse, what is he doing? Because I'm curious what her interpretation is. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, he's been doing that off and on since he's gotten here. Oh. And I thought, OK, file that for later to understand what, what that is. I ask, where are his eyeglasses? She goes, I don't know. Once again, they had put his eyeglasses away where he couldn't see. Wow. I looked around. He was no longer connected to the hydration IV. Wow. But his stats on the monitor were still good. Low, but not deadly. And I was like, he's not connected to an IV But his vitals are okay. I'm confused with what's going on here. And I just dismissed it so I could be in the present with him. And we were watching basketball together. And so I was filming bits and pieces. And I have some of that footage on my YouTube channel. And he was responsive. And then at the end of five hours, I was told, okay, you can leave him here and say your goodbyes. And I'm like, no, I'm taking him with me. Well, we don't advise that. I go, well, I'm not leaving him here. Well, we have hospice. And I had no idea what hospice was, um, how that all worked. Never had a reason to know. Mm -hmm. And so she goes, well, let me see if I can find a clinic that will take him, a hospice clinic that will take him as a courtesy that we work with. And she did, and she found it. He was transported there. And then I had that rude awakening on what goes on where, you know, when a family member is in hospice and, and so this rude awakening came in the form of me spending the night at this hospice location, like a protective mama bear, Mm -hmm. where the nurses would come in, they'd flip on the bright lights and he'd squint and go, no, 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 no. So he is being cognitively aware of what's going on. He's communicating what he doesn't want. They would turn off the light. I would bring in my diffuser with lavender that has a light in it to help his experience be better. I did not know that the reason hospice wasn't helping me with saving him is because the hospital had started him down the death and dying process. Mm -hmm. They did not inform me. They did not get my consent to do that. 
they persuaded me to sign a do not resuscitate form. I don't know if in that form it gives them permission to start the death and dying process, but I was not informed. Neither was Chris. Mm -hmm. But that's what was going on. So he hadn't eaten at the hospital. He was now being held withheld hydration. Um, and no one explained that is required when someone is going through the dying process. I would come well, to sure find that out. Because, I mean, it's not an experience you've ever been through. You know? Right. Right. I, I was warned, though, by the hospital nurse before he we went to hospice don't attempt to say things that would save him because the room is miked so the nurse's station can hear everything that's going on. So I couldn't even be myself as a as a mother and an advocate for my son making phone calls to try and save his life during this short window of time I had over the holidays so it's, you know, January 2nd, he's going into hospice. He would pass January 5th mm -hmm. and I'm doing everything I can to save him, taking away from me, holding his hand and being there for him. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, I would have done things a bit differently in that regard, but I was so paranoid being in that hospice room with him because the room was miked. So I'd have to leave to go to the hotel, then do my phone calls like a crazy mom trying to save her son um, with clinics that weren't even open. Mm -hmm. I was trying to get a live liver donor transplant set up using my liver that could save his life. Mm -hmm. And his doctor at that hospital before he got moved to hospice was like, well, good luck with that. Wow. Not helpful at all. He passed. And I will say that what I did the day he passed, I was at the end of his bed. And pretty much it was, all right, Chris, you have now transitioned into a different form. I don't know what that is. I don't know how this works. Either way, we're going to do this together. We're going to continue doing this together. I took my cell phone and I turned it on in the videos on my YouTube channel, um, Angelina Music, where I just spoke to him so his friends and family members could be part of that last exchange with me being there with his physical body, telling him, go to Nana, go to Tata. All your friends, 10 of his friends at that point in his life had passed for various reasons. And only one was a suicide. The other nine were not. Um, and I said, you know, they're waiting for you. Go there. And I, I said my final words with him there. And I left knowing that this is to be continued. I just didn't know what that to be continued would look like. So the first three months I call were haunting at night, especially at night. My brain 
would play a video reel from his birth to his childhood to the last moments in the hospital and at the hospice clinic. And it would just replay and replay. Mm -hmm. And it took about three months for my brain to remap the reality of where things have gone. So having studied brain plasticity and neurology over the years for my own mental health with a number of traumatic things I've gone through personally, it helped me to know, all right, I need to boost my immune system immediately through this because I don't know what's ahead of me in this so-called grieving process. And I want to be in the healthiest brain state as possible so that I can and my brain can respond to the remapping it's going to have to go through. Right. And Mary Lee, my first time in the department store walking by the men's section, that hit me hard. I would no longer have to go through that department to buy anything for my son. Mm. And so my phone, his phone is still on as of now, two years later. Mm. I still have his phone with me. I'm still paying for it. Mm -hmm. And I am at that point. It's time to repurpose that phone for something that is useful in this, what I'm calling a good grief journey. Right. And that is to be able to share with others this process that I have gone through for myself to be able to have, it's kind of like the compost pile that has the flowers grow out of it unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And you're going, wow, I never would have thought this could have been possible. Right. And when I do share his story with a young man, when it comes to, this is what Chris would want you to know. <clears throat> if you smoke, there's a flap on the bottom of your esophagus. The chemicals in the cigarettes or vaping will tell the nerves to not function properly on that flap in the esophagus. Right. And that means... If you're eating spicy, fun foods and you have acid indigestion because that flap doesn't work, you'll start burping up acid. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's how you get throat irritation, throat cancer, you know, mm -hmm. when it's tied to cigarettes or acid indigestion. And then it's, okay, now why do we get acid indigestion? Let's look at what we're consuming and our body's reacting to. Right. Okay, well, now let's look at the gallbladder and the liver and the kidneys. And God forbid, your pancreas gets sick and because you're not taking care of yourself, mm -hmm. you end up getting pancreatic disease like Jobs did. And he had all the resources in the world to try and figure out how to escape dying from that. And he couldn't. Mm -hmm. So now the question ends up being, how many of us are walking around with a stage of liver disease? We don't know. Oh, right. Chris didn't know. He did not know. Right. And in six months, it collapsed very quickly. And even though he went into what we thought was a trusted medical system, it let him down. Right. So I have been awoken to, 
I do not want to be in the hospital because I cannot control what goes on there. And I was a witness to what didn't go on that led to his death in that hospital system. And that scares the crap out of me. And so now with my work in wellness retreats, it is for enterprising women. And I have one for the enterprising men. It's for entrepreneurs to come together for a four-day getaway where it is quiet. You are retreating from distractions. You are learning how to listen, learning how to think in the quiet. You're being fed food that you get to help to prepare that helps optimize your digestion and therefore your brain, which is why you have that clarity. You're outdoors in nature, whether it's going up to Mount Hood and hiking or paddleboarding on the water or stepping your toes on the beach here in Hood River. And then I have wellness modalities from the salt therapy to the sound therapy to the cold therapy to the red light sauna therapy. It's work and wellness so that you can be more effective in not just what you do and how you live and then how powerful your steps going forward are going to resonate in the life of those you love as a mother, as a leader, as an employer, as a friend as a sibling and to be able to take what you learn back home, continue its practice and then schedule another work and wellness retreat so we can benchmark the progress over time. And we'll have a roadmap and strategy like those index cards and doing my wardrobe when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. to figure out where things go, how they go, why they go, and if they should even go. It's where you can rest, reflect, and reprioritize with some information and insight you might be lacking right now with the help of someone myself that has navigated through a number of experiences in life. I want to help people fill the gap through. Angelina, I absolutely am just amazed and over in awe of your whole story. And I know we barely scraped the surface, but the fact that you you even brokenness and you are turning that into help others. Number one, you started helping entrepreneurs through the mom mom entrepreneur. And then you also took now and you're helping through health and healing even though you face tragedies you've just taken your experiences and you've turned them into good for others and it is just amazing what you're able to do and the inspiration that you give because you don't take the setbacks you keep going forward that taking action like you mentioned and I thank you because Thank what you. An inspiration and what an example you are to others like myself, because being an entrepreneur is tough and just having that advice and that mentorship is so valuable. So thank you for being with me today. I know we're going to have you on again because there are other things that I know that you've been through and that you understand and we haven't even scraped the surface. So 
Thank you so much for having me, Mary Lee, and for me to share some of my story. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. And we will have you on again. Thank you.